It's episode 25 of The Build. And officially, my first episode as a wife guy. Uh, welcome back. If you haven't seen my tweets or my new profile picture, um, I got married last weekend. Which is not what this podcast is about. I joked that this podcast is actually about things that should be and are great while pickled. Um, on Twitter during the preseason game on Thursday because preseason games are just that boring. I'd rather talk about pickles. Um, but I will talk about my wedding a little bit if, you, if you'll indulge me. Um, Kristen and I have been engaged for almost three years. We got engaged in November of 2019. And uh, then the funniest thing happened and the world shut down. Um, so it was finally nice to, you know, after postponing it, to finally get to, you know, share that moment with each other and um and with, you know, our friends and family. It was a it was a really really special day. It was a lot of fun. It was the per- it was a perfect day. We had great weather. We were outside in a garden um for the ceremony. It was a garden that that, you know, Kristen grew up going to as a kid and secretly always kind of wanted to get married there. So um it was really great. Um I've got a lot of really thank I'm very thankful for a lot of the people in my life um some of you you know listeners that have you know created a great friendship with me over the last little while um I was very happy to be able to share that with you guys on zoom I hope it turned out okay Um, we were reading some of the chat after the fact and it seemed like things went well I think it cut out once but everybody managed um it's funny like you know I I've I talk about, you know, Rabbit Habs, the the blog that I don't really write on anymore, although I still own the website, mostly out of of fear of letting it go. Um, But, you know, I talk about how that blog started with, you know, I was just a content writer and I made, you know, a a good friendship with Zachary Vanoss of the Montreal Bias podcast. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, I think of him as a very, very close friend, even though we're internet friends and how you know to to another generation internet friends seem you know synonymous with imaginary friends like it might not even be real but like I feel you know there was a lot of people I wanted to share that moment with um and I'm glad that a lot of my my digital friends got to partake in that I hope I hope you guys enjoyed and I want to send a special shout out to um friend of this show um uh known only as Fork of uh, Hockey Night fame way back in the day, the old uh, Chicago Blackhawks blog. Um, he he and his wife do dancing, um, you know, competitively and just casually to as a hobby of theirs. And he saw I was getting married, and he read me immediately as someone who didn't know how to dance. And uh, he was right, very correct. Um, I'm glad that I give off that energy. I think that's just a blogger thing, right? Um, and he asked Kristen, he asked me for what Kristen and I's first dance song was going to be. And it was, uh, Wasteland Baby by Hosier. And he filmed a video of him and his wife teaching Kristen and I a simple box step, uh, to do at our wedding, which I laugh because it's not, it's like one of the kindest things someone I've met on the internet has ever done for me. Um, you know, just very, I'm very appreciative of that kind of support from, some guy I had come on my old podcast and talk to me about 
Brent Sopel's nude photos that he has hanging in his house. Not Fork's house, Brent Sopel's house. It's, you know, that, that podcast is actually gone. It's gone forever. So I don't know where you'll find that. But, um, you know, very appreciative of that. We, we stuck to those steps for about a cycle or two. And then we were we were just sobbing and just kind of devolved from there. So, Fork, we gave it a shot. If you're listening, thanks so much. We tried, but even he said, if you know you miss the steps, you you just sway and smile and share a kiss, and then you know the crowd will love it anyway. Um, the one thing I am happy is over is people asking me, "Are you excited?" Because what am I gonna say to that? Like, on the day of the wedding and the day before, people were like, are you excited? Like, I, like they're expecting me to say no, <laughs> you know? Um, and I mentioned that to my groomsmen, and every quiet moment we had, one of them would come up to me and jab me with, so are you excited? Which is very funny, and I regretted telling them that I hated hearing that because I heard it for the rest of the day. So that's where I've been. Um... I hope you've enjoyed the last few days of summer and are trying your best to enjoy preseason hockey, even though I find that to be almost impossible. Um, and that's kind of where we kick things off. Training camp is open for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, before training camp opened, we saw some rookie camp games, that rookie showcase that took place in Buffalo. Um, you can try to take things away from those games. For those who are, who are prospect-inclined, I, I, I imagine that those games are kind of like mini World Juniors games in the sense that you're seeing players against their peers, that sort of uh, sense. I don't personally take a lot away from those games. Um, I think any time... My general rule of thumb is that any time a team is responsible for scheduling their own games, the games don't inherently matter. Um so those, those rookie camp games that not every team plays in a rookie tournament or even preseason games where teams are responsible for scheduling their own matchups. I just don't think that there's any... If, when there's no inherent value in them, like, it's just... It's impossible for me to sit there and, and try to make, like, you know... Especially after after such a small sample size. We've only seen two, to this point, three preseason games. Um, I, I find it very difficult to make sweeping generalizations about things. I'm going to do my best in here because that's what plays, you know? Um, and that, that's not me saying, well, I'm just going to do it because <laughs> folks like it. Like I'm trying to take things away from these games that will, I think, carry over into the regular season for the Canadians, which is very difficult because, you know, that's one of the tougher things about preseason games, especially the early ones, is that the Canadians always split themselves into two rosters, and you have an A team and a B team, and, you know, they play alternating games, and usually each team has, like, one or two NHL lines, maybe one NHL defense pairing, and then the goalie is just either, you know, the starter and the backup, the AHL starter and the AHL backup, some, some amalgamation of those things. Um, you know, and to go back to the rookie tournament idea, like, I don't think that like three random games being played before training camp even opens tells us a whole awful lot about where these players are going to be in five or 10 years. Um, yes, Lefkowski did some cool things in that rookie tournament. Bex did some cool things in that rookie tournament. Mayshar did some cool things. 
And that's all they are. Those are cool things. If you enjoyed it, I'm not going to tell you to stop enjoying it. Like, I'm glad you found that. It's the first real, it's the first piece of hockey that we see where people are wearing Canadians uniforms and they're at least like adjacently related. Um, but, you know, outside of that, camp kicks off for the Canadians, um, you know, outside of that rookie tournament. And we get some like pretty tough news immediately with Joel Edmondson being out indefinitely with, I believe, a back injury. Maybe it's lower body. I can't recall. Recall, um, and Suzuki at the time of the announcement was out two weeks. It's he might miss the season opener and in some time after that, I'd I'd honestly be surprised. I bet that I, I I'd be willing to bet that it's more precautionary than anything. Um, just keeping him off the ice when it's not really super important that he you know plays at this point. He played in every game last year. Like I just I don't think that it's all that important for him to be playing in these. They they know what they have in Suzuki. Even if he was like ninety eight percent healthy, there's probably a re- that's probably good enough reason to just not have him play in those games. Um, so I guess we'll just start talking through these preseason games. I took notes for game one, and then game two was an absolute disaster, and then game three I was just trying to watch the game. And I was making these notes as I was going through. So bear with me. These details probably won't be perfect, but these are just some general thoughts I had um, going through them. So they kicked it off on Monday at home against the New Jersey Devils. Um, Actually, pause. We need to talk about the preseason as a whole really quick. There's way too many of these games for the Canadians. Like, they're... Every year, they play eight of them. I don't know why. Every year, except for the one year, you know, where they... I think it was the season that they had the 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 Canadian division where they played no preseason games. Um, the NHL has a range of games you have to fit within. You have to play at least six, and you can play no more than eight. And Montreal always maxes out the number of games that they want to play in, in, in the preseason. I always feel like for NHL regulars, you're just risking more injury, and that the only true dress rehearsal games are games maybe game seven and definitely game eight. Um, by that point, you know, most of the cuts have been made. You're you're trying to get guys ready for the first NHL game of the season. It's it's typically the most intense game of the preseason. Um, the, it's the, it's the, it is the hardest to differentiate that game from game one of 82. Um, not to mention the fact that, you know, we're through the first three games. Montreal has five left and... In four of those five games, they will play the Ottawa Senators. So they play Ottawa four more times and Toronto one more time. Those games are going to be a disaster. Like if the if that if those rookie tournament games are anything to be, you know, taken as as you know what may happen in the four of or you know in the four remaining games we have against Ottawa before the season even starts, especially if Arbor Jacka is playing in any of those games, like those are going to be a mess. So those will be one to keep an eye on and just hope that guys make it through in one piece. Um, at any rate, Montreal has three preseason games under their belt this season. Each of them have been varying degrees of unwatchable, in my estimation. The first one was, I would say the first one against New Jersey was probably the the middle of the pack game. The second one against Toronto was just horrible hockey. It was terrible to watch. On both sides, Toronto won three nothing, but they weren't all that great either. They had a few standout performances, and then they had to play 
two forwards on defense because they didn't want to overtax um, uh, Morgan Riley and TJ Brody after Jordy Ben got hurt and another Leaf got hurt. I can't recall his name. Um, I think a lot of that, like the games being terrible, is just a symptom of what preseason hockey is. Like I said earlier, there are two rosters that are kind of just kept separate from one another. And they, you know, they then go out and play their own games. Every player is on their own schedule. Like, am I playing tonight? Am I playing in the next preseason game? Like, there's no regularity to any of it. And ho- hockey players, as most athletes, they they need that sort of regularity in their schedules. They feed on it. Like, that's the only way they know how to prepare themselves for regular season games. Um. And on top of that, like most of the time, those lineups have only, especially early in the preseason, like these games are the worst. Like I said, they only have like one or two NHL forward lines, one defensive pairing, and then, and then the rest of it's like prospects who might make the NHL one day and like AHL regulars like Danik Martell. And I was shocked that Alex Belzil is still in the organization. Like, that's the sort of, those are the kind of guys that, like, these are their big games of the year because they might be able to make the NHL, although they're probably just going to be, like, the first call-up options when things go south. Um, And on top of that, like, they just, they, these games are disjointed because none of these guys have played together. When you find two guys who have any kind of, you know, consistency or chemistry together, you might as well keep those guys together because that seems like something that they couldn't practice. It's just something that's there, which I'll, I, there's a few examples of those so far. Um, I don't care about the end result of these games. The score does not matter. I'm looking at players performing against their expectations for what I have for them, what the team may have for them. And, you know, checking them against, I hate this word, but narratives like, Brendan Gallagher is a big one. Like, which Brendan Gallagher are we getting next season? The big narrative is he's finally healthy again. He had the full offseason to recover. He's ready to go. We'll see regular Brendan Gallagher again. Is that going to be the case? That's what I'm watching for in these games. Um, On top of that, just like, are the pros showing up? Like, Yoel Armia, who I said earlier might be a candidate to get waived if they can't find a trade partner and if someone outperforms him to get to stay on that roster. Um, are the guys who need a bounce back year starting off on the right foot. We're not going to see a lot of those guys. Like, um, you know, we haven't seen Jonathan Drouin yet because he was sick. We likely won't see Sean Monaghan. I can't imagine we will. He's still trying to rehab from his hip injury or hip surgery, rather. Paul Byron's still injured. Are we going to see him? So, like, there's a lot of the guys who we could expect a bounce back from we probably just won't even see in the preseason. Um... And then looking at the prospects, a lot of times looking at prospects is like we're looking for flaws. And while I don't, no one likes to do that. I do think that's a, it's a way of watching prospects. Where are their deficiencies? What are they going to have to work on in order to get to this point? Because, you know, in looking at those, when we see them a year from now, are they any better at that thing they were not as good at? If so, we can say that there's been some growth in that department. If not, well, they haven't really you know, that's that's when you're kind of looking at them at them and saying, like, are, is this something they will be able to overcome in order to be an NHL player? Um, but on top of that, what are the things that they already do that they do at an NHL level or c- very close to it? Um, you know, the things that once they make it to the NHL, we won't have to be worried about. Like, that's the thing they're going to do well. 
So that's how I watch these. Everything else, in my opinion, is just noise. Um, so with that said, now for real, we will talk about each individual game. Uh, game one against New Jersey is a 2-1 loss to the New Jersey Devils at the Bell Center. Montreal, I don't think leaves. I don't think they leave Canada for their entire preseason, which is um, usually I think sometimes they mix in a game against Buffalo, but they will not leave Canada. Um, there wasn't too too much to take away from that one. Um, we get our first look at. Uri Slavkovsky in NHL hockey. I thought he was all right. I didn't think he was bad. I didn't think he was great. He was just all right, um, which I think is where a lot of the concern comes from with Slavkovsky because he comes with that price tag of the first overall pick. He will always be compared to that. Um, I don't even necessarily think that that's that off base. Like Montreal said that this is the best player available in this draft. And he will continue to carry that throughout his career. Um, he's a guy that I want to see more of before the season starts because I'm not currently convinced that he's going to play NHL games past the eight or nine game tryout that he gets at the beginning of the year. Um, I think he's probably best suited to start in Laval and likely stay there for the season. But I still want to see more of him. I guess that's the one positive that we get from playing 845 preseason games before the regular season starts. Um, I thought in this game and in his second game, the next one against Toronto, he's pretty decent at getting pucks off the wing, off the boards to the middle of the ice. Um, a lot of times, you know, when he has, when he thinks he has a lot of time with a play, he takes all of that time. I think that's a symptom of him playing on, you know, a larger ice surface, at least from what I've been reading from folks, you know, that he, he thinks he has a lot more time than he actually does because in the NHL, those gaps get closed really quick compared to, you know, Olympic play or any other play on a European ice surface where it's just much larger and you have more space to operate. Um, you know, I think he's good at getting those pucks off the wall into the middle, both on the offensive zone, in the offensive zone, when he's coming in on the rush and he's like on the wing and he can get it to the middle. But also, I think in transition, when he's moving the puck out of his own zone, he's pretty decent at kicking the puck to the middle of the ice to, to somebody who's going to be able to take it out. Now, that's a bit of a double edged sword because, you know, when you're on, when you have the puck in your own zone, you're always told to avoid going out through the middle of the ice. Because if you turn it over, they're in, a, in an offensive zone, they're in an offensive position where they are right in front of the goalie. They can create a lot from that middle area of the ice. So it, I think it's one thing that we'll have to watch and make sure that he's doing responsibly as he progresses through his development. But just his ability to 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 be able to do that with some level of regularity at both ends of the ice, I find to be quite um, encouraging. Um, again, it's not the flashiest thing to be saying about a guy that Montreal took with their first with the first overall pick. But with everything we've heard about what, how the Canadians see him, they see him as a marathon and not a sprint. And I know that's frustrating to hear because that's just not what we're accustomed to seeing with first overall picks. But this wasn't just any first overall pick. It was the, you know, everybody talked about how everybody's development was all screwed up from the pandemic I'm going to talk about this more next week because I think I'll have a guest on Wednesday who um, has some thoughts on this. But I'm not worried about Slavkovsky at this point. I have not been blown away by him. 
by any stretch of the imagination through two preseason games. But I thought he was showing some nice things in the first in that first game. Um, he uses his body well to create separation to muscle guys off the puck. Um, but I think you know he's he's still he's still developing, and that's just something that we're going to have to get used to as they bring him up to the NHL level. Uh, and that might take more time. Um, it was also our first look at Kirby Dock in a Montreal Canadiens uniform. He was another player who, in that game, I was really trying to focus on, and he didn't really jump off the page um, in his first game. I thought he used his body to protect the puck well. He uses his long reach in the offensive zone, especially when he's working below the hash marks. You know, he uses his long reach to hold the puck further away from him to shield in using his body to shield guys from the puck. So I can't get to it. I think he's going to draw a lot of penalties like that. Um, you know, we saw that a little bit more in the Winnipeg game. I think he drew a couple. But, you know, it's his first it was the first game he's playing in a new building under a new coach on a brand new team. A really slow start for him. Um, I don't think he's a complete player yet. I think that, you know, if you've listened to this show, you know my opinions on on what his, you know, looking at him from a, a range of potential outcomes standpoint. I think people, a lot of folks are looking at him and going, he's a 50-point player. And he might be. That's I think that's at the high end of the range of potential outcomes for the season for Kirby Doc, especially with, after watching the Winnipeg game, he looked really great with Cole Caulfield. Like, if he's playing with Cole Caulfield, he's going to put up points just by virtue of being there and being the guy that's going to distribute him the puck. However, I don't think he was always, like, rolling out of bed a 50-point player. Um, He hasn't been to this point in his career. So he might be, you know, especially in that first game, I think he was a victim of the expectations that some had unfairly placed on him. My expectations for Kirby Doc are a lot lower than most, so I was okay with that game, especially from a this-is-his first game in a Canadian's uniform standpoint, um, still shaking off the rust from the summer. Um, it, next, the, the Owen Beck hype seems real. Um, it, Owen Beck seems like the kind of prospect who teams, you know, fans and prospect people around certain teams fall in love with really early, and it's really difficult to see why. But with Owen Beck, it is not difficult to see why people really like this player. As far as like developing a prospect goes, he seems fairly low maintenance because he does a lot of the things that drive he does a lot of the things that when they are not done well, it drives coaches mad. He wins draws. He wins faceoffs, which is such a tough thing in this league because one, I don't really think it's all that important, and coaches really seem to put a lot of emphasis on winning draws. And when you can win draws, they're gonna put you out there. Owen Beck's really, really good at the faceoff circle, and he uses some really unorthodox ways of winning draws. Like sometimes he turns his stick the complete wrong direction, so it looks like he's going in there as a left-handed shot, and the puck is going to his right side. Um, you know, really good at faceoffs. He always seems to be in the right spot, which helps him defensively be in a spot where he can, you know, um, try to take over the play and transition the puck out of the zone. But also offensively, he was sneaking in in on the rush, trying to like find backdoor plays and get open. I, I'm he the hype is it seems very real with Owen Beck, um, which is not something you can say for a lot of second round picks that the Canadians have had um, over the years. I, I think he's a very very smart hockey player. I don't think he's an NHLer right now. 
He's but he's really close. And I think that he I think the Canadians have a player in him. Um send him back to the OHL to dominate a year. Even if you want to like because let's say let's say Suzuki's not ready to start the season and he misses a few games. I don't see any harm in in having Owen Beck stick around for a few games because you know they get that eight or nine game tryout. He won't use all of it. They'll send him back to the OHL. His contract will still slide. He'll dominate the OHL and then we'll reevaluate next season. Um, I think that that's that seems to be like the the most likely s- series of events for Owen Beck um, through training camp. But I, I hope that they give him a really long look, not not in the sense that I think they'll keep him for the full 82 game season, but in the sense that like it's a it's a good opportunity for him to just get more NHL reps, go back to junior knowing, OK, I saw this in the preseason. These are the things I need to work on. I, I think that he's a really, really good. Um, he has a really good chance of being an actual player for the Montreal Canadiens, which doesn't we are not accustomed to finding those in the NHL draft. Um, still talking about game one against New Jersey. I thought Caden Gooley looked really strong. Um, I liked his play with the puck in his own zone. He looks very comfortable with the puck. Um, he also looks comfortable without the puck when he's engaging guys physically, but that's always been the calling card on him for a physical defenseman. So he came as advertised in that, in that respect. And he's a guy who played in game one against Jersey and he played in game three against Winnipeg, which I'll get to in a little bit, but he was even better against Winnipeg in the second game. Um, also against New Jersey, uh, Matthias Norlander. For some reason, he's a bit maligned as of late amongst Canadians fans and and prospect people. Not not so much prospect people. I think they still very much are are buying the Norlander hype. Um, but fans seem to be a little turned off on him because, you know, he he played in Montreal last year. He didn't look great. He played in Laval a little bit. He didn't look great. He's been bouncing around with injuries. He hasn't really had a chance to stick in any one place in North America. Um, you know, and I think that's why he's ultimately going to start the year in Laval and probably spend most of, if not the entire year there. Um, in, in the game against New Jersey, I think of six defensemen, he was probably Montreal's fifth best defenseman. Um, I have him below Gooley and Harris on the current depth chart. Those are guys who I really think are going to make the team out of camp. I also have him below Barron, although I believe Barron will probably start the year in Laval at least. Um, but, you know, that's just me. I don't make the lineup. We'll see what they end up deciding. But I do think it would be best for Norlander to go to the AHL, play top six minutes there, play power play minutes, get a lot of reps, and Montreal can have a guy ready next season when there might be more of an opportunity for him in Montreal. Because it's not worth it for him to come in as the sixth or seventh defenseman and maybe not play every night. And then even when he does play, play eight and a half minutes. Like it's just, it's not worth it. They need to stop doing that with these guys. They need to stop Victor Meteing these guys. And they need to do the thing that's that's best for their development and not so much just having him around the NHL team for the sake of it. Um, and finally in that game against um, New Jersey, I thought Jake Allen looked fantastic. They're going to need him to stay healthy um, because in limited action in the preseason, which I will get to momentarily, Montembeau and Primo have not been very good. Um and that's not with the goal of winning games in mind. I think that, you know, the goaltending in Montreal is going to be important because they need to keep themselves from being embarrassed on nights when they don't have it. 
and then also allow them to win the games that they're supposed to win. Win the games where they are outplaying the other team and they have a legitimate opportunity. They can't afford to have a goaltender who, like we saw last year with Montembeau and Primo down the stretch, where Montreal was having a good game in front of them and they would just blow it. They cannot afford to keep doing that. Um, not in a sense that I want them to win games and make the playoffs. That's not what my intention is here. My intention is to protect the psyche of these players who cannot afford to keep putting together great efforts, or not even great, just good enough efforts to win, only to look behind them, and their goalie has given up six on 23 shots. It's not something that can be sustainable for this team if you want these prospects and young players to come up with you know a winning attitude a winning mentality it's the it's the you know the the early 2000 the, the early teens oilers like those guys we we need to avoid being those guys um and on top of that mike matheson that was his first opportunity to play in a canadian's uniform i thought he looked good um moved the puck offensively he skates he skates well um he was in a one-on-one defending and he just i think he just punched a guy in the chest and knocked him over um I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to the Mike Matheson experience as much as I will miss Jeff Petrie. Um, but he seems like a really good, a really good, solid player. I'm interested to see how they use him, you know, what kind of role he'll play on, on special teams, that sort of thing. All right. Game one in the books. Game two against Toronto was terrible. There's not much to take away from this one because not much happened in it. Um, it was a 3-0 loss at the hands of the Toronto Maple Leafs or whatever amalgamation of players these are. But by the way, that's another thing about this. Like people are saying, oh, the Canadians lost this game. A bunch of dudes wearing Canadians uniforms lost that game. Like I know that the Canadians are going to be bad. I'm not trying to absolve them of losing this game. But like these aren't the full teams. So relax. Anyway, um, I, I did like a few players' efforts in this one. Um, Philip Mayshar made a great play. Um, I think they were on the power play where I, he just deep two guys out of their shorts and then was able to get a, a scoring opportunity. Montreal has seldom had players who can create individually. Um, he's He's got that first-round pick pedigree. Really interested to see what they do with him this year. He can also go to the AHL, I believe. Um, there's a team in the OHL that owns his rights from the international draft. He could go there. I suppose he could go back to Europe, but I don't think that's part of the Canadians' plans. I think they'd like to avoid that if, if at all possible. Um, so he's a fascinating one. I think he'll be one of the last cuts um, because I, I think they really want to see what they have going there. Um, I think I thought Emil Hanneman had a great game um, in that one. Not a great game. No one had a great game in that one. But he and, and Jake Evans on the fourth line along with Jesse Ullin and um, they they were able to create, especially between Heinemann and uh, Evans, I think they had combined for like three good scoring opportunities, once on, on the power play and then a few times later on, where it was just one of those timing plays where they're throwing the puck through the slot to the other side and just trying to connect with another player. Um, you know, as Sebastian he, High said, because um, I tweeted about the, the lineups, so I was like, man, these are going to suck. He said, I, that's a pretty decent fourth line for Montreal next year. And, you know, I, I at the beginning, I was like, yeah, there's really no guarantee that Hanneman even sticks with the roster because of how many, you know, articles and thoughts there are about how if he doesn't make the Canadians, he's not going to Laval. He's going to go back to Europe. 
And then Heineman goes out there and he has a pretty good game. And I think, you know, Sebastian might be right. I think that could be a legitimate fourth line option for Montreal should, you know, the pieces fall correctly and they have the roster space for him or he forces their hand and makes them create the roster space for him. Um, Beck, again, was fantastic. Great face-offs again. He's not only is he, you know, doing all the things that we see and enjoy from a, from a hockey player, analytically, like, his, the, the Canadians were better off when he was on the ice. Um, you know, th- from a, from a shot, uh, shot attempt standpoint, they were just better when Beck was there. And it's not that he was a passenger in that. He's, he's likely a driving force behind why they were better. Um, I'm really, really interested to see how that, how that guy is able to, you know, not just stick with what he's doing well now, but get better. Um, he's still so young. His development was stunted, and he still turned out like this. I think that that the, there's a really good chance he's a really, really good player for Montreal. So that's what I liked on, on forward, on defense. I really liked Harris. Um, I thought he moved the puck well. I thought he jumped up in the rush a few times um, to try to help create some offense. He's not afraid to do so, which is... You know, there's a lot of young defensemen who I think would stay back in situations like what we saw Harris do against Toronto. Um, I I think he makes the Canadians out of camp. I don't think he gets sent to Laval, especially with the Edmondson injury. Um, There's a spot available, essentially, that wasn't um, at the start of training camp. Um, And then Slavkovsky didn't really show a ton in this one. I thought he was still good at getting the puck from the middle, to, you know, to the middle of the ice from the wall, but this was a game where he wasn't even supposed to play. Um, Drewing was supposed to play in this one. He was sick. I have no idea why the Canadians decided to put Slavkovsky in there. I, I think just to get another look at him, which I understand, but you're not exactly setting him up for success when you're playing him on a line with Yoel Armia and, and, and Rem Pitlick, who quarterbacked the power play in that game. Like, it was just... That was a roster that we saw them put together and announce ahead of the game. And I think collectively, Canadians fans were like, I I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish in this game. Um, You know, wasn't a great showing from Slavkovsky in game two. It was a game that he wasn't even supposed to play. So it's a bit of a write-off. But again, it's not exactly making us feel the most confident that he is currently NHL ready. Um and like I said, Rem Pitlick was the power play quarterback in this one. And that's all you really need to know about this 3-0 loss. Um, so game three versus Winnipeg, that's the last preseason game I'll talk about because it it, it just happened tonight. I'm recording this uh, after the game. Um, we saw some real NHL lines in this one. Um, uh, Evgeny Dodonov, Christian uh, Dvorak, and Brennan Gallagher looks like it will be a real thing. And I'm really in favor of it. I thought they looked good. I think they'll be a great second line for Montreal. Um, Dodonov and Gallagher looked like they had already developed some chemistry somehow. You know, they were set, they were finding each other in the offensive zone and trying to make some pretty creative plays. <sighs> Excuse me. See, the problems of doing this late at night. I'm not cutting it either because it's late. Um, I think that uh, it's funny. I, I, I tweeted after a good play that Dodonov made. I was like, I think we're really going to like this guy. And then he proceeded to have two turnovers that the Winnipeg Jets immediately put in the back of the net and the Canadians lost. Um, Just kind of bad luck on both of them, honestly. One of them, he was trying to make a pass. He had his head up and he went to go move the puck and the puck had flipped over his stick. Like there's not really a ton you can do there. Um, 
Gallagher looks like Gallagher again, which is one of the things I said at the at the hop that I wanted to focus on. He looks good. He looks like he the, all of the stuff that we heard about his health and wanting to get healthy again was the honest to goodness truth about what happened with him last season. Um, he scored a power play goal in this one where the puck bounced about 20 feet above the ice and he caught it on the bounce. You know, it bounced once and it bounced about waist high and then he just smacked it in the net. It was a, it was a you know, if, if you thought of what a Gallagher goal looked like, that's probably what you were drawing up. Um, he also assisted on, on Cole Caulfield's power play goal in this one. So two point night for Gallagher. If he gets going, it's going to be nice because I think it, if you have Gallagher, Dodonov, and Dvorak as a line, you, you you have something that Montreal didn't have last year, and that's a line offensively that could take some of the pressure off of Cole Caulfield and, and Nick Suzuki and now Kirby Doc. Where last season, Suzuki and Caulfield were creating always matched up against the other team's best players, and they were still pretty effective at that. If Gallagher and Dvorak and and Dodonov can can take some of that pressure off. I think it just makes those guys better. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But I'm very encouraged by that. This season, we're going to need to find things that we find fun, and, you know, just for the sake of it being fun. I don't think Dodonov's going to end up being here for very long just because of his contractual status. They'll probably flip him at the deadline. But I think this is a line that we're going to look at and say, man, that's a really fun line. And, you know, Dvorak's under contract for a while Gallagher's under contract for a while you can go and find another Dodonov somewhere maybe it's somebody that that is already on the roster who you know is developing or a prospect within the system um but I think that could be a really interesting second line um and it could like I said take a little bit of the pressure off of Suzuki and Caulfield to be the guys who always create um I thought Caulfield and Doc looked like they can be a thing which would be interesting if Montreal decides not to play Suzuki with Caulfield. Um, I, and, you know, to speak, we know Caulfield's great, and I think that's a point that I'll get to later, and for most of the season, because I think it bears repeating. Um, Doc looked much improved in this game. I think that, he, you know, the first one was really just him trying to get his feet wet. In this one, I think he was he was moving his feet a lot. Um, his zone entry and hit evasion, deke, whatever you want to call it, um, set up Gooley's power play goal in the first. By the way, what a play by Caden K- Gooley um, to get that pass, work it to the outside, come back into the middle, and shoot far side. Um, pretty, I mean, we don't see defensemen do that in Montreal that often, so that was pretty fun. Um, Doc was a problem in this game. Like he he created issues for the Winnipeg Jets. He made Logan Stanley lose his mind temporarily. Um, which isn't that hard. I think he loses it when he falls over. Um, he used his size to go to the front of the net. I thought he was good in transition. If this is the Kirby Doc that we're going to see this year, I think we're going to see a very, very good hockey player. Um, but again, balanced with what we saw in the first game, this just being preseason, you never know. But very good things to see from from a guy who I had lo- low-ish expectations for and even lower after the first game. Um, I thought he was a legitimate, he's a legitimate offensive option for the Canadians after seeing, you know, at least in this game he was. Um, Caden Gooley was really the talk of Habs Twitter during this one. He had a big goal, lots of big hits. He was not afraid to take guys off. I'm really, really enjoying his game, both 
defensively, offensively, physically. I really do think he's a modern NHLer. Um, outside of Harris, I think he's the most ready of the prospect defensemen through the games that we've seen so far. Um, I'd have him making the lineup at the start of the season. So Edmondson's probably not going to be ready to start. So you've got Savard, Matheson, Gooley, Harris. Who am I forgetting? Weidman. There's got to be someone else I'm forgetting. The fact that I'm forgetting them isn't good, right? Like, that's kind of where we're at here. Um, you're saving a space for Edmondson. Maybe Schumann plays in the NHL. Maybe a guy like Barron gets a longer look because of the injuries at hand. Um, but we'll see. I, I do I do think Gooley is best suited playing in the NHL at this point, though. Through what I've seen, that might change before the, the, the preseason ends, but this is... I, I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. Um, and in this one, uh, Xavier Simeno looked really, really good. Um, Arpen Basu tweeted that it's nice to see guys like him who have no shot at making the team have a really strong showing. Um, and that's exactly what Simeno did on Thursday night. He's not a guy I was all that familiar with headed into training camp. So he's one of those pleasant surprises who you know shows up and you you, you, you take a flyer on him I'm gonna. We're gonna try to pay attention to him throughout the year, and we'll evaluate next 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 fall when he comes back to Montreal for training camp. Um, so just a, those are always fun guys who are you know you're not really expecting to make too much of a difference, and you know he's showing that he can stick around with guys that you know in in small spurts, and you know might be an NHL player someday. Um, in net, Allen was great again, and then Primo was very not great. Um, Alan called it a night midway through the second period as they've been doing. I've never really understood that. I, I kind of like what Toronto did in their game was Matt Murray started. He played two periods and then they took him out and they put some sound off in to finish the game. I don't know why they don't just do it that way. Like, it's so weird that they're like, no, it has to be a complete split because then it, it typically never is. You're, you're playing six goalies anyway. You might as well just like let him finish out the period and then put another guy in. Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, it, Primo just, I, I, he was great in the NHL or the AHL playoffs last year. He was like probably the biggest part of Laval's success, honestly. Um, and then, you know, I know it's the beginning of the preseason and he hasn't had all these, all these reps, but these are goals that we've seen him give up at this level before. Um, in the Toronto game, the first goal he gave up was he, his, I don't know if it was actually the first goal. It was one of them. He just gets beat on a puck that, like, finds its way through him in the post because he doesn't have his post sealed correctly. And then a similar thing happens in this one where a, a player for the, the, the Jets was behind the net. He goes for a wraparound. Primo's there in plenty of time, but he doesn't have that post sealed off, and it sneaks in again. That, and then I think the next goal he gave up, was a shot that just should have, he should have stopped with his arm and it goes in between his arm and his body and in the net. Like, I'm not saying that like these two goals are the reason he's not going to play in the NHL this year. But these two goals are proof positive of what we've already seen. We've already seen that he can't really handle this. So I'm very, like, between him and Montembeau, Montembeau was also not good in the action that we've seen him play. I'm 
I'm very concerned about what the Canadians have in net. Because it can't be Kevin Poulain. It can't be. So, more on that later. I don't want to... I'm going to tease that. Um, you know, instead of both of those shots being stopped and Montreal leaves with a 3-2 loss, they... Or a 3-2 win, rather. They lose 4-3 on a dagger of a goal against with 17 seconds left. That one was deflected. Yes, it was deflected 5-hole, and he probably should have had a better shot at stopping it. But it was deflected. I always... No matter where the deflection happens or where it goes, I tend to give that to the goalie. Like, hey, there's not really much you could do about that. Um, but even with that goal standing, like, that's a that's one that... These are the games that I'm talking about. Where the goaltender snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. You can't, you can't build a winning culture when you have games like that where you're just throwing it away based on bad goaltending. Um... So that's it for the three games. Let's do some big takeaways from these that I've already kind of touched on, but I kind of want to wrap into what I'm looking for for the rest of the preseason and how I'm going to watch games, not only through the preseason, but into the regular season for the Canadians. Um, The first thing, these games suck, and I'm still going to watch them. I don't think I've ever seen a good NHL preseason game. They're just not, it's not good hockey. If you enjoy them, that's fine. I'm not going to I'm not going to take that away from you. You enjoy these to the best of your ability. But I just, I don't, they're never any good to me. Like, they're just, they, the players are going through the motions a lot of the time. Like, Yoel Armia and, and and Mike Hoffman are two dudes who are just going through the motions for most of these shifts. Next time you watch either one of those guys play in the preseason, you tell me that they want to be there. Like, I, I just, I, and I don't blame them. They're not getting paid for it. They're not getting paid for it. Like, they don't want to get hurt in a game that doesn't matter. I don't blame them. Anyway, I've ranted about that enough. Um, I think one of the bigger takeaways is that Slavkovsky, I see, is a very talented player. You can see flashes of it, right? Like, you see the stick work. You see his legs moving. You see his size. You see his reach. Um, but he's still a bit of a prospect, a project. Um, I know prospect people said he was one of the most, if not the most NHL ready players available in the 2022 draft. I just haven't, I don't think we've seen it yet. Um, I'm not saying he's been bad or that he's going to be a bust after two preseason game, preseason games. And I'm not saying that he's been perfect and nothing's gone wrong. Cause I think both sides of that camp have to relax. Like, because like you both can't be right. And I, I, I would tend to believe that you're both wrong. <laughs> um, there's, I just, I don't think there's a benefit to playing him in the NHL when I, when it's not clear that he's ready for it. Um, they cannot Galchenyuk this. They cannot Kotkaniemi this. They cannot afford to force a player into the NHL when they are not ready to be there. They need to be sure they're doing the right thing for not only the long-term aspirations of the player, but of the team. This is They invested a very, very high pick in this player. And I know some people say, well, once you're drafted, that's gone. It doesn't matter. Bull. It absolutely matters. It matters that they get this right because it's the first step of, of whatever this retool, rebuild, build is. They cannot afford to botch a first overall pick. And I'm not saying, like, they've made the pick. 
I'm not saying like, well, it's it's out of their hands now. Like the player is what the player is. They they picked him. If he's gonna bust, he's gonna bust. I I th- I think that they need to do a better job of developing this player at this point. You can develop players at the NHL level. They need to decide if that's the best course of action. As of this point, I've seen two 60-minute games from him in the in the preseason, so it's not a lot. But if you if if you had to make a decision now, I would say that he starts in Laval. There will be more games. Five more, to be exact. I don't know how many of those he plays in. Probably probably three. I'd say he plays in three of those. Um, I think one of those is like the the Hockeyville game against the Senators. So I bet he plays in that one. Um, so they have to get that right. Uh, the second note is that is on goaltending. If Allen goes down for any stretch of time, this is this is the thirty second place team in the league. Like I feel fairly confident saying that because I ha- I have no confidence that Montembeau and Primo are going to be able to stop the bleeding for any extended period of time. Like, if we lose Allen for a month, like, how many games do you think they play in a month? 13, 14 games? They're probably losing 10 of them. Like, you, you like I just, I, I have no faith in those two as, as capable NHL backups. Primo, at least, you know, you can say, well, he's still developing, which I totally buy, and I think he should stay in the AHL as long as possible. Um, But Montembeau just... I just, I don't, I have not seen it. We didn't see it last year. Yeah, he was hurt for a lot of it. I understand that he played through that injury. He's not hurt now, and he didn't look much better. Obviously, we'll wait and see more, but this is a legitimate fear of mine is that the Canadians are going to, like, they're just going to blow a lot of games that they shouldn't lose. I shouldn't even say a lot because I don't think they're going to be in a position to win a whole lot of games this year. But the games that they should win, they should win, which I know sounds silly, but like I don't need we don't need goaltenders to go in there and steal games. We just can't afford to let a young roster get embarrassed on a nightly basis because the goalie lets a 4-2 or a 3-2 game for Montreal's favor turn into a 6-2 game because they just they let in some beach balls from the blue line. We cannot afford to have that happen. So I'm gonna we're gonna watch this. But maybe this is a bit of a bold prediction. Montreal has a very high waiver priority to start the season. In fact, the highest. They were the last place team last year, meaning they start at the top of the waiver wire. If if an NHL caliber backup is available on waivers. Kent Hughes should not hesitate to claim that player because I just, I don't see it with Montembeau. I don't see it with Primo. I feel like if you waived Montembeau, no one would claim him. And Primo doesn't need to be waived. We know that he can just go to the AHL. He's waivers exempt. We talked about that last week, last week, last episode. We talked about that. He's waivers exempt. He can go down to the AHL this season without needing waivers. Um, So that's my fear with goaltending. On the more positive side, I I think these prospect hype trains are going to be fun to follow for this season. Regardless of where these two guys play, Beck and Mayshar are going to have a fan, like a cult following. Like players are going to line up, fans are going to line up to see him 
Um, you know, we're, we're going to be seeing clips of them on Twitter. We're going to be trying to catch their games when we can. It's going to be exciting to watch them develop and see them come back to Montreal next year and figure out where they're at. Um, I'm very, very excited. I feel like those two guys are going to be Montreal Canadiens very soon. Um, Arbor Jacki, lot there was lots of talk about him last last preseason too, but especially in this one, I think that he's um, he's got a real shot to be a depth NHLer, which isn't a nothing thing for the Canadians to find. You know, they signed him, they didn't draft him. He's just kind of he's got a really great story as far as like you know, he, in order to pay for his training coming up, uh, he was working at Costco. Like it's just it's a it's a really cool story. I'm I'm rooting for the guy. I think he, you know, I, I, I think he's probably headed to Laval this year. Um, let's see him play in Laval for a little bit. I'll probably be catching a lot of their games this year because I think they'll be more fun than the Canadians on most nights. Um, I thought he's handled himself well. He's a physical defenseman who needs to learn to pick his spots a little bit better, but he's done pretty well at that throughout the the preseason. He hasn't been like jumping out of his skates to to connect on a hit. He hasn't been, you know, running out of his way to make a hit. Um, I'm excited to see what what some time in the AHL does for him. Um, and finally, Cole Caulfield is just going to be here to score goals this year. He's got two. He's got two in two games, both on the power play. Through three games, the Canadians have yet to score a five on five goal. They have four goals, all of them on the power play, um, which is something to monitor, not in a positive sense. Um, it seems like he's going to fill the net this year, which is really great because we're going to have to have fun, something to cheer for. Someone has to score the goals on this team. Um, and it looks like Cole Caulfield has signed up to do so. Um, right as I sat down to start recording, they announced their first set of cuts. Riley Kidney and Joshua Wah are back with their um, QMJHL team. So your first set of cuts for the Canadians. Both of them played against Winnipeg on Thursday, so they are headed back to their junior teams. Um, all right, that's all I've got. I'll be back next week probably. Um, a Wednesday night episode since that isn't a game day. As I hinted at earlier, um, there may be a guest involved. Um, I'm nearly certain there will be, but don't count your chickens, as they say. Um, before I go, I do want to acknowledge um, the retirement of one P.K. Subban. This one kind of stunk. Um, I was not ready to say goodbye to him. I have his I have his Predators jersey hanging in my um, in 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 my apartment. You know, he, it's a bummer seeing his career end this way. It, it feels like it was something that was taken out of his hands because of his injury. Um, I think I think his neck and back injuries really derailed what could have been a, a special career. He, he already made such an impact with, with his play um, in the limited time that he had in the NHL. But to think that, you know, we were kind of, I feel like we were robbed of, of a really, really special career in PK. Um, but he did it his way, right? Like he, he's like he, him calling it quits. Now it's a clean break. He's going to go on to, to do broadcasting or whatever it is that he's going to do. And he's going to be really great at it because he's just a, a dude who's just great at the things that the dude wants to do. Um, the sport, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. He, the sport is still going to be very lucky to have him around in some capacity. He's the kind of player that that Montreal never seemed to have enough of. Um, the kind of guy who thrived off of the moment, which is what you know. 
it's a far different personality, but like that's what folks seem to really like about Yuri Slavkovsky, right? Is that he 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 plays up to the moment and he wants to be on the ice in those big moments. That's who PK was. And, you know, growing up in Connecticut and and having to endure, you know, Bruins fans being Bruins fans for as long as I did, it was nice to have a player who would just shut them up. Like a player who when they played Boston, you knew you were going to get some kind of vintage PK Subban moment. Whether that was his double overtime winner in the playoffs in 2014 or the you know the goal that he scored in game seven in 2011 to tie it late. They ultimately lost that game. But it was still a moment nonetheless. It's probably one that is towards the top of our PK Subban moments, even higher than it already is if Montreal manages to win that series. Um, you know, him coming out of the box against Boston in 2014, taking that feed from Eller, and just just deking the pants off of Tukarask. Like, he just... Like, if you look at my, my Mount Rushmore of P.K. Subban moments, I think three of the four of them are against Boston. Like, he just feasted on that rivalry. Something that I don't think... Like, I love I love Nick Suzuki. I love Cole Caulfield. Yeah, they, they had some good memories against Toronto that for that one playoff series, but not, the Canadians have not had since Subban and didn't really have one before Subban. They didn't have a, a star player who just absolutely torched a rival. Maybe Kovalev against Boston. There's a lot of Kovalev-Boston moments. But they really, like, we really don't have a a, a player who just absolutely torches a rival like PK used to. Um, You know, when the the Nats, when my Washington Nationals won the, the World Series in 2019, I remember celebrating in my living room and and thinking of the players who I wish were there, the guys who like you know like uh, the examples that I have are Jason Worth. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite baseball players of all time, um, and and Gio Gonzalez because those two like for me, coming up and watching the Nationals outside of Bryce Harper like those two were the guys that I was like yeah these are my Nationals, um, and when they won the World Series all I could think of was like man I wish Jason Worth was here. And I wish Gio Gonzalez was here. Like, I wish these guys were here for this. Um, you know, if Montreal wins a cup in the near future, I'm going to wish Markov was here. I'm going to wish Koivu could have done something like this. Plakanitz, of course, Carey Price, of course, Shea Weber. Um, and P.K. Subban is, is paramount on that list. Like, he's a guy that I think, like... He, he wore that crest with such pride. It would have meant so much to him to not only win a cup, but to do it in Montreal. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about the trade that, that sent him to Nashville for Montreal. And how, you know, at the end, it seems like it's it's more even than, than we initially anticipated. Culturally, it, it seems like that's still a, a cosmic wrong that has not been righted. Um, it still seems like like unfinished business because of the way that it ended for both sides, right? Both teams got a cup final. Both teams lost those cup finals. Both players are, are unceremoniously done with their NHL careers because of injuries they sustained while playing. So it's just, it's a bummer. Um, 
I, I wish him well. I, I can't wait to see what's next for him. But, you know, I can't help but feel that we are losing out on, you know, a player who, who should have been around longer than he was. Um, but with that said, that's all I truly have. Uh, thanks for listening to me ramble. This is a long one. I was not anticipating going this long because it's almost 1130 on a Thursday night. Um, thanks so much for listening. The, mu- the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mugg, as usual. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to check out the rest of his stuff. There's a new album on there. I get all those Bandcamp alerts, so go check out his new stuff. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I'll see you guys in about a week. Take care. Take care.